Well, I have a confession to make. I was not a swamp man. <laughs> so you probably will not get any swan stories today. However, I did deliver medical supplies. So we are going to get a story of delivering medical supplies today. Um, the medical supply people didn't teach us to dance to do every time we talked about it. So, but I read through Matthew 6 this weekend. I thought about working at MedWest Medical Supply. It was out of Hillsdale. I remember going there and being trained. And they trained you on how to use the equipment and all that good stuff. But they also trained you how to act or what to look for when you go to somebody's house. Like you would always look for something that you can talk about when you go back the next time. So if they had a flower bed, you'd pick something out there and you'd talk about it the next time. Or maybe something they had in the house. But also you were always on the lookout for signs of animals. Mostly dogs. So a good sign is if they had a beware of dog sign. That was a good thing to look for. But if they didn't have that, you would look for the dog house, the dog dishes sitting on the side, things like that. And I can remember after being trained with that and talking about that, I hardly ever saw those signs. Until one day, I was delivering liquid oxygen, comes in a big old tank, weighs about 70 to 100 pounds, to a house, and they had a sign that said beware. But it was not beware of dogs. It was beware of chickens. <laughs> So I saw that sign and I kind of laughed. Jumped in the back of the van, grabbed the tank, threw it on the car, and started heading inside the house. Got inside the gate and I looked. As soon as I looked, about 40 to 50 chickens were headed right towards me. <laughs> Wish I would have took that sign a little bit more serious. You know, we were taught to carry dog treats with us. Never anything about carrying chicken feed. Um, 40 or 50 chickens headed right towards me and I realized that sign wasn't a joke, and to beware of chickens. Um, I actually went home and changed clothes after that delivery, in case you guys are wondering. But today, we're going to pick back up in the Sermon on the Mount. We're going to be camping out in Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6, and we're going to look at the thought of beware. That is what it starts with. It says beware. And as we continue this journey, we're going to see that Jesus told these people there that were gathered together to listen to the sermon, to beware. We're going to see what he told them to be aware of and how that applies to us today. To do that, we're going to make it really simple. We're going to look at the alert. And we're going to look at the areas to watch. If you have your Bibles, open them up to Matthew chapter 6. When you get to Matthew chapter 6, stand up and we will read this out loud together. <coughs> I will be reading from the ESV today, and Matthew 6, 1 begins this way. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. So that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. 
Father, we are thankful for this day. We are thankful for your word and all that we have because of your word. Lord, I do pray that as we dive into your word today, that you would guide and direct, Lord, and just help us to hear from you, Lord. I just pray that you'd help me to share only what you have for me to share, Lord, and that we would just see how great you are, Lord, and just how great this morning is for us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. I preached on Matthew 6 a few weeks ago at a church I filled in at. I told him that I've been going through the Sermon on the Mount with you guys. I told him I'm doing really good. We are three years and a couple months in. We're in Matthew 6. Um, and then I scared them like I'm about ready to scare you guys. We're just going to start with one word. Matthew 6, 1 says, beware. And that's right where we're going to start when we look at this alert that is taking place. You know, that word there, that Greek word for beware, has a thought to pay careful attention to. Um, Wednesday, I got off of the dirt road onto 127 and started driving. And I looked up, and I saw a cop car behind me. And I was paying careful attention to my speed limit. Um, I stayed right at 55 until he passed me. <laughs> but that's where it was. You know, you see these things that draws alertness to it. I mean, think about it right now. As we're driving after dark, we're paying attention to watch out for the deer. Um, we hear these things to beware. We know about how to beware of certain things. But here, Jesus is using it to call them out to beware of something in their life. Something that they don't really think they need to be aware of. You know, other times throughout Scripture, and even throughout Matthew, Jesus tells them to beware Matthew 7.15, Jesus says, Beware of false prophets who come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly are ravenous wolves. Beware. Be on the lookout. Be alert. How much do we need to be on alert for false prophets today? You know, we know this was good for them, but it's good for us. I mean, I love how it says, Who come to you in sheep's clothing. You know, I read a story this week about a wolf. Probably a true story, because, you know, the wolf probably wrote it. Um, but the wolf wanted to have a sheep. So you know what he did? Dressed up as a sheep, went into the sheepfold. He wanted to be there. He wanted to pick out the one he wanted. And he looked like he was not a harm or a danger at all. So in Matthew 7, he says, beware of false prophets. In Matthew 10, hey, he's clicking. Matthew 10, 17, he says, beware of men, for they will deliver you over to the courts and flog you in their synagogues. Beware of the praise of men. Beware of those who are lifting you up. Because <laughs> they don't always have your best interest. Matthew 16, 11 through 12. How is it that you fail to understand that I did not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of the bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Time and time again, Jesus tells them to beware. I just picked out those three, but there are many more where he tells us be on the lookout. Be cautious. You know, as I think about that alert for us today, we must beware. Um, really wish with that chicken, I would have been a little bit more aware of my surroundings, and I wouldn't have had to go change my clothes afterwards. Um, but you know what? Today, the enemy is on the attack. Um, he's attacking families. He's attacking churches. He's attacking everywhere and anywhere he can. And we must be paying attention. Because sometimes, just like with that wolf, the attack is going to come from within. But we need to be ready. We need to see that attack coming. So we have that alert there. Beware. Get your senses up. Be ready to watch what is going on. 
Then we have some areas we need to watch. Um, it says there in Matthew 6, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Beware in practicing your righteousness. Righteousness, the word here means doing what is morally right or doing what God had called us to do. Doing the right thing based on what God says, not what other people say. And we are told to beware in practicing our righteousness. It almost sounds like righteousness might be a bad thing here, but that's not the case, you know, because our desire should be more like Christ. We should desire to be more like Christ. We should desire to be more like the one who is perfectly righteous, who is perfectly holy. In Matthew 5, 6, we see that we are called to hunger and thirst after righteousness. It says, blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. We're supposed to hunger and thirst, desire to be more like Christ, to do what he would have us to do. Um, we should crave that. Um, anybody still craving turkey? Or is that craving gone for a little bit? All right. Um, but, you know, some cake or pie wouldn't be too bad. We can keep those cravings. So this should be a craving that is always there. We should always crave this hunger for righteousness. We are also told that we are blessed when we're persecuted for righteousness' sake. Matthew 5.10, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know, some people look at this verse and say, well, if I'm a Christian and I'm persecuted, that's what's supposed to happen. Well, actually, it's what you're being persecuted for. If it's for doing what Christ would have us to do, standing up for what he'd have us to stand up, Yes, that is a blessing to be persecuted for that. But if it's because you just want to stand up and fight over things that don't matter, that's not what it says. It's for righteousness' sake. So righteousness is something to be desired. But it's also something that we cannot attain on our own merit. Romans 3.10 tells us this. As it is written, none is righteous, no, not one. So how can we say that righteousness is something that we should desire, and then read, none is righteous, no, not one. Well, it's because of what Christ did on the cross, because of him coming and paying that penalty, and us being able to be found in him, that we can have righteousness. Our righteousness is through Christ and Christ alone. It is through him that we are able to be righteous. As we, if we try it by ourselves, Isaiah tells us our righteous deeds are dirty rags. They're worth nothing. True righteousness comes from being in Christ. So as he says, as you practice your righteousness, as you practice doing the right thing, make sure you're doing it for the right reasons, is what he's saying here. If you're doing it in front of men, just to be seen, that's not true righteousness. You know, just like we saw in Matthew chapter 5, the heart behind the attitude is really what comes into play here. The heart behind our righteousness is what matters. The reason why we are righteous is what matters. If we're doing it to please Christ, that is true righteousness. If we're doing it because that's who we are, in him, that's true righteousness. But if we're doing it just so that people can see how great we are, if we're doing it just for the applause, it means nothing. That's quite the warning, isn't it? It says, look up the page. In order to be seen for them, then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. If you're looking for your own glory and your righteousness, that clap that you got, that attaboy, that's your reward. But true righteousness is going to reflect back to God. If we're truly seeking God and being righteous for him, we're going to bring glory to him. Matthew 5, 16 says this, 
In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. You know, as we do these things, as we're led to do these things, we led more like Christ, other people are going to see them. We can't keep everything hidden. But it's going to reflect back to God. It's going to bring Him glory. You know, we're called to shine so others see Him and not us. Matthew Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, it brings us all back to show us where we need to be and where the glory is supposed to go. As I thought about this and I thought about reflecting things, I was here last night getting some stuff ready, and I stood up here. I looked out and prayed for you guys today. And as I prayed for you guys, I prayed that God would do a great work in this church, that we would bring Him glory today. As I thought about that, and I tell you guys that today because of this, too often... We like those attaboys. We like those good jobs. But as we saw in Sunday school, that good job, we're just that clay pot that he's using to do that good job. So whether it's me or PD up here, the people singing, give God the glory for us being able to be up here. And that's what Matthew 5, 16 is telling us. We should be up here because we have these gifts that God's given us. But it's not for our glory, it's for his alone. And that's what he's telling them here with this righteousness. You can get up there and you can shine, but make it so that you're reflecting God's glory back to Him. The next thing we see there is in our giving. Isn't it great that you get to come to a church after Thanksgiving and hear something about giving? But verse 2 says this, Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogue and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be done in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So we see the word, thus, when you give. Giving is expected. Um, it doesn't say, if you give, if you think you might want to give. If you get that bonus check and decide to give, it says, when you give. And as you read this, it says, when you give to the needy. Um, it's actually not talking about tithing here. It is talking about giving to those in need, giving to help those who are poor and needy. But the same principle applies to tithing, to the giving to the church. That we need to do it in such a way that it's done in secret. That everybody else doesn't know what we're doing. Do it in secret. And as we've already said, that doesn't mean no one will ever find out. It means we do it discreetly. Um, if we give and we help somebody, sometimes they're going to go share it on Facebook. They're going to go tell other people, and it's going to spread. But we need to do it in such a way where it's not bringing the glory back to us. That it's not for praise. That it's not for attention. Can you imagine if we climb up here preaching today and somebody walks in shaking their ministry bank and hands it in in the front? Why would we think they're giving? So we could see what they gave. Um, but we don't do it for that. It goes on to say, do not let the left hand know what the right hand is doing. Left hand, right hand. Maybe six feet apart like this. Keep it a secret. Even that close of a circle. Do it so that God is getting the glory for it. Don't do it for the praise and the attention. Not so that we are seen, but that Christ is glorified. We're to help for the right reasons. We're to help, we're to give to the needy, because we are of Christ. 
We're supposed to be more like him. And if he gave to the needy, what should we do? We should give to the needy. We're to give because he's given to us so that we can bless other people. We are a means that he uses to bless other people. He's a means that we use to take the gospel to other people. He's a means that we use to help them when they are in need. As I thought about this, I thought about the early church. Um, I thought about their giving in the early church. Acts 2, 45-46 says this, And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all, as any had any need. And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts. So the church, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, to prayer, to fasting, to all this stuff. And then it goes on to say that they gave. If they had something they didn't need or if they had something that they could sell and get money for, they gave it. They took it and they helped others who needed it. Um, isn't that an amazing thing? That God designed the church to help those in need. That's exactly what the early church started doing. You know, in all honesty, if the church would have kept what it was supposed to do from the beginning, there would be no need for the welfare system. There would be no need for government assistance because that's what the church was supposed to do. But it fell off track. But you know, as they gave, as you read on in verses, verses 47 and 48, it's going to tell you that God was praised and they added to the number day by day. You know, if you give for applause, that's your reward. They're going to cheer for you, say good job. It's going to be short-lived and not have any eternal value. But if you do it for the Father's glory, it says your Father who sees in secret will reward you. These are eternal rewards. These are the rewards that we're going to get from Him. And it's better than anything the world has to offer. Black Friday deals, there are a lot of them out there. A lot of people went and got new TVs, new whatever, new Tupperware. Every Black Friday, Tupperware is on sale. I buy it every Black Friday, so. But better than anything the world has to offer. I thought about this question who can outgive the Lord? You think about this. We like the rewards that people can give us, we like that attention. But who can outgive the Lord? The creator of everything, the one who owns a cattle on a thousand hills. Who can outgive him? As I thought about that question, I asked myself this. Why would we want those other rewards? Um, football games we played yesterday. Half the teams won, half the teams lost. Half the teams were being celebrated today, half the other coaches were told they should be fired. Isn't that how it goes with human rewards? It's good for about a week. And then we're going to switch if that team loses the next week and we're going to say he should be fired or they didn't do such a good job. We're going to question them. God's rewards are what we're going to receive when we're at the FEMA seat. And he looks at us and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Why would we desire these other rewards? He goes on in verses 5 and 6 to tell us to be careful in prayer. Verse 5 reads this way. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Once again, we're expected to pray. Um, we see that word with, we see that word when, so we know we're supposed to be doing it. And prayer, just like giving. If Jesus gave, 
that we need to give. If Jesus prayed, we truly need to pray. They were both a practice of our Lord. But I love what he says here. He says, do not pray like the hypocrites. Hypocrites, we get that word from the theater. The thought of two faces on one person. They didn't have enough actors, so they would go backstage, put a mask on, come back out, and play another part. And how often do we use that word to talk about somebody who acts one way someplace and one way another place? How often do we hear that word hypocrite used about people in the church or this or the other thing? And Jesus right here says, do not pray like the hypocrites. Do not make it so that you are getting the attention and taking the glory away from the one that it's supposed to go to. As I thought about prayer and praying like a hypocrite, I was reminded of the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. It is found in Luke 18, verses 10 through 13, and it reads this way. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee was standing by himself and prayed thus, God, I thank, that I'm, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Man, doesn't that sound like a prayer from the heart? More it sounds like a prayer coming right down from his nose as he's looking down at other people. You know, all he can look at is how great he is, not really looking to who he really was. But the tax collector standing off, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. You know, the Pharisee, he stood up, and he wanted all the attention while he prayed. He wanted people to see how great he was and what he had done. Tax collector just spoke what was on his heart. You know, when we come to prayer, we must make sure that we're coming to prayer the right way. Um, I've heard people say before, God hears every prayer. Um, not what the Bible shares with us. Our prayer life can be hindered if there's sin in our life. That's what the Bible shares with us. So we need to make sure that we check our heart when we come to the Lord for prayer. That we're not being hindered in our prayer life. We must check our attitude. Have you ever tried to pray with attitude before? I've tried it. It does not work very well. Jason's smiling because he knows what I'm talking about. You just have the attitude and you go pray. And you actually usually pray that it helps somebody else's attitude because they're the ones with it. We must check our attitude at the door. We must leave our pride at the door. And we must pray to an audience of one. Prayer is between us and Christ. Now there's times when we're called to pray in public. Still, that's between us and Christ. It's not so others will hear us and be impressed at how long we pray. I can remember doing basketball Bible study here. I can remember doing um, pastor's breakfast or pastor's Bible study. And I was the youngest one there. And we'd get to prayer time. I kind of dreaded prayer time at our Bible study of pastors. Because you'd get one pastor, you'd pray for 10 minutes. Another that would pray for 10. Then I would come. It was a good 30 seconds. But you know, you hear that, and sometimes we want to be like, man, they're praying so long, they're praying so well. I want to pray like that. I want them to be impressed with how I pray. But you know what they were praying? What was on their heart? That's what we need to make sure we're doing, that we're not just keeping up empty words to impress others, but to show them how holy we are or how smart we are with the words we use. We need to come and pray from the heart. 
Pray what you're feeling. Tell them about those issues that are going on, the stress that you feel. Tell them what's weighing on you. Tell them that you're nervous about those test results, that your heart's broken about this family member, that family member. As you pray these things, pray expecting results. Don't pray it just for words. Don't pray just for show. Um, have a tough week this week. I'll be praying for you. And then you go and pray, but you really don't think much about that person's week other than you prayed for them one time. Pray expecting results. Pray in faith. Um, we're reading James that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much. There's great power in prayer. Make sure that we pray. And an amazing thing here, just as we saw with giving, there's rewards. We either have earthly fading rewards, or we have heavenly <coughs> eternal rewards. So as we looked at this today and we saw the alert, beware in these areas. We saw the areas to be alert. The question was, what's in this for us? I came up with one thing. That's we must beware. We must beware that we're not falling into the trap of living for the approval of man. Um, easy trap to fall in. We want other people to see how holy we are. We want other people to see how great we are. What a great dad, what a great father. We're just living for their approval. <coughs> their approval doesn't mean anything. It's just like filthy rags. We must be living to bring honor and glory to God. As you think about living to bring honor and glory to God, that is in every part of our life. In our work, our work is worship to bring honor and glory to God. In our families, our family life should bring honor and glory to God. In giving, in prayer, in everything, our goal is to bring honor and glory to God. So as we get ready to leave here today, the question is, who are we living for? Are we living for ourselves? Living to get all that honor and glory for ourselves? Are we living to be a steward who brings that up, gets that honor and glory and reflects it right back to God? That's what we're called to do. We're called to live in a way that brings honor and glory to Christ. Because without Him, there would be no honor and glory to give. Father.